0: Thank you. Praise the Lord. We want to say thank you to uh, FCC for helping us with the work going on in Botswana. A lot of good things are going on. We have a uh, a video, about a five minute video, uh, just to say thank you, and then maybe I'll just make reference to it quickly, and then we'll get into the Word of God tonight. So if we're ready, we can play that. <laughs>
1: I dreamed I went to heaven And you were there with me We walked upon the streets of gold side the crystal sea I heard these angels singing and someone called your name you turned and saw this young man and he was smiling as he came and he said friend you may not know me now and he said but wait You used to teach my Sunday school, and I was only eight. Every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. One day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Little things that you had done Sacrifices you made They were unnoticed on this earth In heaven now proclaim I know up in heaven You're not supposed to cry I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, He said, My child, look around you. Great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. That was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you came. Oh, thank you for giving to the Lord. Change. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so. I am so glad you.
0: Thankful for your giving, it's touching lives over in Botswana. Uh, this last year was a bit of a difficult year for us. Our permits were rejected, which uh, we were told that we would have to vacate the country. And uh, I contacted Pastor John and some other pastors who wrote letters for us. Um, and we had several friends in the government who helped us to, to kind of thread this uh, needle of a problem. And so they they ended up uh, letting us get our permits again. And the same day that they gave us our permits back, I received a call from the uh, office, tied with the office of the president, and they asked uh, me to speak to the leaders of the nation. (laughs) And uh, so 51 permanent secretaries gathered together. They were gathering together to write the vision for the nation for the next 20 years. And they asked me to speak on the subject of leadership from the scriptures to them. So I I thank God. God has a way of turning things around, hallelujah, God is faithful, thank you for your prayers, Uh, we want to just encourage you, please be praying for us, there's so much to do, we feel like, uh, you know, we've just started, we've been 20 years in Africa, uh, 10 years where we've been currently, uh, and there's so much to do, we need help, we need prayers, and so we thank you for our fellowship uh, at the Household of Faith, amen. I just want to, if someone doesn't know my, my beautiful co-laborer in Christ, hallelujah. Mary. Couldn't do it without her. Um, let's pray, and we'll see where the Lord takes us tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us tonight. And we pray that you'd lead us and guide us into the truth of your word, that you'd give us grace, Lord, to hear and grace to communicate, so that you might accomplish all that you want in our lives. We thank you that your plans for our lives are bigger than we can even conceive or imagine. And we thank you that there is grace to be able to do those things. And so, Father, we ask you to speak to us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Psalm. 37, I want to thank Pastor John and Sister Nita for their friendship in the gospel, hallelujah, and for the leaders for allowing us to come. It's one of the highlights of our trip is coming to FCC. Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord." And he delights in his way. Now, reading this passage for many years in my life, I used to think that what it was saying is simply, if I was a good man, that my steps would be ordered by God, or that I could somehow relax in the understanding that my steps were being ordered by God. But in looking at actually the original language In the Hebrew language, it would be better translated the steps of a valiant man are ordered by the Lord. Or the steps of a warrior man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a fighting man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. In other words, what God is saying in this passage is although moral goodness is very important and we should live holy lives that our steps being ordered by God are not based simply on our moral goodness. That our steps being ordered by the Lord and the Lord delighting in our way is based on we have a certain attitude. We have an attitude that we're going to fight for the steps of God in our lives. In other words, God desired to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, but he needed them to be a warrior people. A people that were willing to fight so that their steps could actually be ordered by God. In other words, God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. But for God's plan to be fulfilled in our life, we have to fight for it. We have to war for it. We have to be valiant in order for God to accomplish His plan for our lives. Thank God that the Bible tells us that we should fight the good fight of faith. Hallelujah. And there is a good fight. If we fight in faith, it's a good fight. We'll win. Hallelujah. It's not a bad fight. It's a good fight. A good fight is the fight that you end up winning at the end. Hallelujah. Doesn't mean that you don't have bumps and bruises along the way. But if we fight the fight of faith, we will be victorious. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And the Bible says that which is born of God overcomes the world. One of the things that born of God is not just you and I, but our faith is born of God. It comes from the word of God. It comes from the incorruptible seed of God. And when faith is born in our heart, it overcomes the problems that we have in the world. Hallelujah. And so the steps of a valiant man are ordered by the Lord. You know, I'm so concerned coming back to America, I see that There is the valiancy of mankind being taken away from us. People have microaggressions. What in the world is a microaggression? I mean, you understand what I'm saying. We're dealing with demons. Those are not microaggressions. Thank God we can overcome every situation and every circumstance. But we have to be people that are fighting the fight of faith, not fighting people. People sometimes present themselves as obstacles, but we're not fighting flesh and blood. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay, so I want to take you, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter 7. God has a plan for your life. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. It tells us that the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected God's purpose for their lives. God had a purpose for their life, but they rejected it. Their rejection stemmed from them not being baptized by John. In other words, they went so far, but then they weren't willing to take the next proper step. They knew the Word of God, they had heard the Word of God, but they weren't willing to align themselves with the Word of God and step into the next dimension with God. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. And as I was reading this one day, I realized that it's possible that I could reject God's purpose for my life as well. And that people could be in the church who would also reject God's purpose for their lives. By not being willing to take those extra steps... ...that God has for them to take. Many of us, we bump up on the edge of glory, but we never cross over. We never take that step into that which will actually bring us into the dimension of God. The dimension where impossible things become possible. I want to ask you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Judges, chapter 16... I want to look at a man, Samson. Samson had incredible potential in God. He had a supernatural birth, his birth was foretold by angels. Samson was given supernatural strength. But the Bible says about Samson in chapter 16, he had a woman in his life named Delilah. And Delilah was very interested in helping Samson be defeated by his enemies. This is what Samson said in verse 7. He said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Verse 11, he said to her, if they bind me tightly with new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and like any other man. Verse 17, the last part of the verse, if I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. Actually, Samson says this four times in this chapter, that Samson's fear, was to be bound in his life and to become weak and be like everyone else. And this is what we need to understand about Satan. Satan desires to reduce us to commonality. I like to call it the tragedy of being common, to be like everyone else. So Satan looked at Samson's life, brought a woman into his life, and Samson knew that if I become bound, then I will lose my strength. And I will become common. I will be weak like every other man. In fact, when Samson was finally taken and they shaved off his hair and they brought him, they didn't desire to kill Samson. They brought him and they made him an entertainment factor for themselves. Bible says that they brought him out to entertain and amuse themselves with Samson. The one who was once a great threat to their kingdom had become an amusement for them. And this is one of the things that we have to realize in our lives is we we have an enemy who desires to reduce us, who desires to reduce us to commonality so that we're just like everyone else. We have the same fears. We have the same troubles. We have the same solutions that everyone else have. Common men. Paul said this, that you behave not like mere men. You're not mere men. You and I have had a supernatural birth. The Bible says that when we're born again, the angels rejoice when we come to Christ. And a new life is started, a life with such great potential. But Satan is always trying to reduce us to become common, to be like everyone else, and some of us just to try to survive life instead of actually live life. This was Samson's fear. You know, it was very interesting as I looked at Samson, he had two things that, as a Nazarite, that he was to do that stand out to me. There may be others that I don't know about, but two primary ones. One, as a Nazarite, he was not to drink alcohol. In fact, it went beyond drinking alcohol. Samson was not even supposed to eat grapes. So in other words, with a Nazarite, a Nazarite was not someone that tried to get as close to sin as possible without falling over. A Nazarite was someone that actually stayed far away, even from the root of it. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we try to get really close to things and not tip over the edge. But a Nazarite was to remove himself from that so far. And thank God we find that Samson apparently did that with his life. The other thing, he was not allowed to cut his hair. And this is the one that has perplexed me for many years. Why the hair? And why, why? What's the thing about the hair? And I begin to think about this, and you know, all the hair that we have in this room that we can see <laughs> is all dead. Because as soon as it comes out of your scalp, they say it's dead. But hair, the living part of your hair, is actually the hair that's inside. In other words, what I think. A Nazarite is to symbolize is this connection between the head and life, the mind. In other words, the outgrowth of the mind is to lead to empowerment. But Samson's mind was clouded. His hair was taken, and he was reduced. Myself, in my life, I don't want to be a trophy like Samson became a trophy. Samson was a trophy for the Philistines. Someone that they looked at and said, At one time he troubled us, but now he is on display. Sometimes in churches we have trophies, not of God, but of the devil. People that at one time were a threat to the kingdom of darkness, but right now they're not. And I want to say to you tonight, don't reject God's purpose for your life. The wonderful story at the end of Samson is that his hair grew back. And Samson didn't end as an entertainment factor. Samson ended his life in great victory. Now I want to bring you to chapter 15 of the same story. Verse 16, it says, Then Samson said with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, With the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. After this story where Samson takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand men, it says in verse 17, When he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone of the donkey from his hand. 18. He became very thirsty, and he called to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. Samson recognized, or we should recognize from this story, that victories do not fill our thirst. In other words, Samson had a great spiritual experience, a great victory. But at the end of that situation, Samson knew that he was thirsty. And if that thirst was not met, he would fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. In other words, when you're used by God, when I'm used by God, as wonderful as that is, it does not fill the thirst that we have in our souls. I used to think it would. You know, I've had the privilege of reading about men of God used by God where blind eyes have opened, deaf ears are opened, and I used to say to myself, if that ever happens to me, for sure I'll be full and for sure, then at that point, I won't be in danger of falling into the hands of my enemies. I'll be someone. But over the years, I've seen deaf ears open and blind eyes open and mute children speak. Wonderful miracles of God. Hallelujah. Right. Under my own hands, but they did not fill the thirst that was in me. Samson recognized that. Being used by God will not fill that thirst. And if that thirst is not quenched by God, then he would fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. You know, many times we look at men and women of God and we wonder, how did they fall? I mean, look how they were used. But we need to recognize that a valiant man needs to understand that the victory doesn't fill the thirst that comes with battle. That there's something else that has to fill it. And so Samson cried out to the Lord. And it says, out of the jawbone, there was a hollow place. Out of the hollow place in the jaw came a spring of water that Samson went and drank from and revived. Hallelujah. Samson understood that he needed reviving so that he could fight another battle. So there was a hollow in the jaw. It's sometimes confusing in reading our Bibles because the same word for hollow is is tied up with some of the names that are used in the story. But they say that this fountain lasted hundreds of years. And it came out of the hollow of a jawbone of a donkey. Now, God desires to use donkey bones all the time. My jawbone is the jawbone of a donkey. Hallelujah. God is still using the jawbone of a donkey to defeat our enemies. And if you don't let your jawbone be used by God, your enemies will not be defeated. Victory does start with your mouth preaching and proclaiming and professing and confessing, they're all true, praying. That mouth has to be working. But the Bible tells us that out of the same jawbone, there was a hollow place which God himself filled. Hallelujah. Do you remember the story in Jesus when he says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water? Actually, the Greek word is out of your hollow place. Now, there's a hollow place in us. Yes, it's in our belly, out of our innermost being. But it also is attached to the hollow place in our jaw. In other words, the same fount that God uses to defeat our enemies is the same fount that God uses to revive us. Revival is not something that happens out there. It's something that has the potential to start right here. Hallelujah. So when we're empty, there is something that God wants to fill so that it can revive us and fill us so we can fight again. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the last part of the verse, it says this. It says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. What does love do? We have a definition of what love is, but here it's telling us what actually love does. Love edifies. Simple definition is love builds up. But the word itself has this idea of love, edifies. The word edifies means to repair, to restore, to rebuild. This is what love does. Actually, when we commit ourselves to love other people, you know what we're saying? We're in a building project. We're not going to be bystanders and let them be destroyed, we're going to help to repair. We're going to restore. We're going to rebuild. This is what love does. Hallelujah. Love makes it better than it was before. Knowledge, it just puffs up. It just displays itself. It doesn't touch lives. It doesn't do anything. Do you know it? Yes. But when you take knowledge and you couple it with love, then you use the knowledge that you have to restore, to rebuild, to repair. Hallelujah. God loves us, hallelujah. What does God's love for us do? It's meant to restore us, to repair us, to rebuild us, hallelujah. And I know myself, being out on the mission field and facing different challenges, I need some restoring. I need some repairing. I need some rebuilding. Hallelujah. Now, if you turn with me to chapter 14 of the same book, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is now going through the spiritual gifts. He's gone through them in chapter 12. Now he's gone through the chapter on love. Remember what he said about love. Then he comes back and he says in verse 4, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So what happens when I speak in tongues? The Bible says, I repair myself. I rebuild myself. I restore myself. Right. This is the fountain, the hollow that's supposed to come out of my mouth that is actually attached to the well of God. All right. A well which has lasted hundreds of years for those who have used it. A well which will fill us so that we can battle again. Hello, everybody. Paul said this. He says, I speak in tongues more than you all. Paul was someone that enjoyed speaking in other tongues. He was someone that understood the value of speaking in other tongues. He said that other tongues, by speaking in other tongues, you repair yourself. You rebuild yourself. You restore yourself. And as I travel different places and travel in America and talk about our missions work, you know what I found? A lot of people are giving up the fountain. A lot of people are turning from the thing that is meant to fill them so that they will not thirst and be destroyed by their enemies. Hello? Hello? Some of us, we're still thirsty, we're still craving something to fill, that void in us. After our spiritual victories, we turn to our computers to fill it. We turn to our television to fill it. Sometimes we turn to another human being to fill it. But there is one fount and is the Holy Ghost. And from that hollow place, it's to fill this hollow place so that as you speak in tongues, you can be repaired. Hallelujah. You can be restored. Don't just complain there's no one to restore you. You've got to restore in your own mouth. Hallelujah. You've got a revival waiting for you. But the devil wants to convince you it is of no value. What's all this mumbling you're doing? You don't even understand what you're saying. Can't you see how everyone is turning away from this in our day in which we live? Now we're more sophisticated. We've got other weapons. No, we don't. Reach for the jawbone of a donkey again. Hallelujah. Amen. There's something about speaking in other tongues. Myself, I came in to Christ through the charismatic renewal, Hallelujah. I remember when Sam Smith came to town with his sister Vicky Jamison, and she called me out as I was sick in my seat and said, "The Lord is touching a young man over here." Actually, it was on the right side. I had never been to a meeting like that. I stood up and felt the presence of God go over me. I didn't know what it was. I just began to cry. And when they gave the altar call, I came forward to be saved. Hallelujah. They asked people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I also went forward, but I didn't receive the first time. I didn't receive the second time. I didn't receive the fifth time, but there was something inside of me that said, I have to have that. Wasn't going to be just offended that I wasn't filled the first time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And praying in other tongues has helped me. Hallelujah. And there have been times in my life where I've laid it aside. And boy, I've been tempted by the wells of the uncircumcised. We need to go back to Pentecost. And be filled. Otherwise, we're going to be reduced to commonality. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that sets our lives apart from others. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's ways are not our ways. He tells us what his ways are. He wants to get control of our mouths. You know, the Bible says in the book of James that your mouth, your tongue is set on fire by hell. Have you ever found that out about your life? That your tongue, there's one part of your body that's attached to hell, and it's your mouth. It's on fire. It wants to talk. It wants to, have you ever seen someone on fire? They, they move automatically, don't they? When your tongue is set on fire, it just wants to, just wants to go crazy. Go crazy on your children, go crazy on your wife, go crazy on your husband. Now go crazy on the road, driving down the road, people are going crazy on each other. Have you ever wondered sometimes, they should know you can't hear them. But that mouth is still moving, isn't it? Still connected. But God wants to set your mouth on fire too. So on the day of Pentecost, it was tongues of fire that came. God is vying for your mouth. He wants control of your mouth. He wants you to understand that your mouth is a fire, but it is also a fountain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Out of your innermost being flow the issues of life, but they flow through a mouth. And your mouth, the Bible says, is like a rudder. It determines where your life goes. A ship is not driven by the winds. It's driven by a rudder. Very small thing. So God is wanting control of my mouth. Otherwise, if I let the storms have control of my mouth, or if I let hell have control of my mouth, I'm not going to have a heavenly life. But heaven wants my mouth. It wants me to meditate on the word of God supernaturally. You know, I believe this was part of the reason why people follow Jesus. is because John the Baptist said, I'll baptize with water, but there's coming. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, and fire. He'll immerse, he'll wash with the Holy Spirit. He'll dip with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism is a word that was used common in the day in which... Paul lived, it meant to dip. And, and dyers of fabrics would dip fabrics into dye. They would baptize the fabrics. And what would happen is you take take, let's say, a white garment and you dip it in blue dye. And what would happen is that blue dye would change the fabric. It would become part of it. It would become adhered to it. It would become one with it. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's attempt to change us permanently. So that we take on the qualities that he has and they become enmeshed with ours, Inseparable. You see, when someone had the baptism, or I should say this, when someone had the Holy Spirit on their lives in the Old Testament, they were a generation changer. They were a solution to people's problems. And there were only a few of them. As you read through the scriptures, there was only a few where God's spirit moved upon certain people. But thank God he did because that made them supermen and wonder women of their generation. There's something in us. How many have seen some of those movies? There's something in us that cries out for super. Human powers. I remember as a kid watching Superman. You know, when you go into that you know, telephone booth, we don't even have telephone booths anymore. He'd be in trouble, wouldn't he? <laughs> <clears throat> go into that telephone booth, and he'd come out, and whew, you knew you didn't have to worry because Superman was around. Batman, it seems like, you know, his clothing is part of his powers, That's what it is for you and I. Jesus said, you will be endued with power from on high. The word endued means you'll be clothed with power. God has given us supernatural power. But that supernatural power also, we need to refresh it. We need to revive it. You know, I found in many Christians, many charismatics now are... are, Uh, becoming far more conservative in their beliefs. We say conservative. I don't know if that's the right word. Dead, maybe? (laughs) Because why? Because we were told that a revival was coming, that these revivals were coming, revival was coming, and the revivals never came. And people got disappointed and disillusioned. Because we were told that somehow revival was something out there. But revival is not something out there. It's something right here. It's something in here. The just shall live by faith. The word live means they'll revive by faith. They'll be sustained by faith. Hallelujah. When I need revival, I need with my faith is revived. I am revived. And praying in the spirit is one way in which my faith is revived. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let me take you just to a few verses and we'll try to wrap some things up. Turn with me if you would to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. I don't want to cool off in these last days. I'd rather heat up. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Now, this is something we need to recognize. God's gifts, God's graces, God's kindness, God's favor, whether it be eternal life or healing or deliverance or safety or wholeness, All those, the word saved. For by God's favor, not because you earn it, not because you did everything right, by God's own kindness, you and I are healed, delivered, protected, made whole. And that is the gift of God. You know, God desires to gift us with healing, to gift us with wholeness, to gift us with Safety and preservation. God desires us to have those gifts. But they come through something to get to our lives. They come through faith. And that's why faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Because faith connects us and allows God's kindness to reach our lives. There are many times that God wants to send us these kinds of gifts. We didn't earn them but he has no way to get them to us. In other words, if I'm in Botswana and you want to send me a package, as wonderful as that is, your package is going to have to go through something to get to me. It's going to have to go through the mail or go through the air or go through something to get to me. And God is looking down at us and he's saying, I've got much kindness that I want to do in their lives. In fact, the Bible says he's a God of all grace. He's the God of all kindness. He wants to do so many wonderful things. But he's saying, I need to get it through something to get it to you. And that thing is faith. Hallelujah. Amen. And faith's not difficult to get. We even have a supernatural way to get it. We get it by hearing the word of God. We get it by speaking in other tongues that build yourself up in your most holy faith. But I want to say this, if God's grace is kindness and and really the package of all his potential comes to us in his grace, it comes through faith. So let me say it this way. If you speak in tongues, exercise your faith that it's going to do what the Bible says it's going to do. Find out what it says it's going to do. It's going to repair you. It's going to restore you. It's going to rebuild you. But that grace to do all those things still comes through faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you may have to take the time to destroy the doubt that's in your life so that you can step into the realm of faith so that God's grace can begin to reach you. You know, I've got some projects in Africa that I want to do that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart and it's. You know, our average budget per month is something like $5,000. It's not much. That pays for myself, my wife, my seven other employees, my nine other part-timers. It feeds all the kids. It does a lot of things. But I need hundreds of thousands of dollars. And as I was praying about tonight, God spoke to me and said, put your faith in me. All right. Not in the church that you're going to. Not in the people of the church you're going to. Put your faith in me. You understand what I'm saying? I'm confessing my own faults before you. Because it's easy to talk about faith and not so easy to understand that sometimes we're not living by it. But God's got a grace. He's got a kindness to fulfill all those needs that I have. But they're not going to come because I wish they would. They're not going to come because I hope they will. They're going to come when I get into the position where I'm actually assured that he will. God's grace comes through faith. Faith is not hope. The word hope means to have an expectation of good. It's a wonderful thing. And we need hope in our lives. We need to be able to look at our future and say things are going to get better. We need hope. Oh, God, we need hope in the day in which we live. So many people have no hope. But you know what the Bible says? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And substance there means faith is the foundation of things hoped for. So actually, biblically, the thing that comes first is faith. And then when faith comes, it causes you to look at the future and say, It's going to be good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not just hoping for something, then having the faith to get what you hope for. That is not what that word means. It means that actually the thing, the genesis of everything is God's word. And when it dawns on the heart, when it's born in the heart, faith comes. And this is what overcomes the world. And causes us to look at the future and say, it's going to be bright. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm looking at the future. I'm looking at it through the eyes of hope, but they have come first through the eyes of faith. I'm not reaching for some pill to bring me some kind of sense of peace. Unless it's the gospel pill. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's some good news in that book. Hallelujah. There's some promises in that book that are to stabilize me and let me know that I'm only one moment away from the impossible. You know, the Bible says that God gave Jesus as a covenant to us. Hallelujah. Now, I know many people that have received Jesus as a Savior and received Jesus as a Lord, but they have not received Jesus in the way in which God gave him. God gave Jesus as a covenant to me, as a contract that could not be broken. And it was this knowledge of covenant that helped so many people in the Old Testament. Abraham, the father of our faith, was very familiar with covenant meant. It gave him stability. Hallelujah. So that when God said things about him that he was not experiencing. Hallelujah. When God was calling things that were not as though they were. It says, Abraham believed them so that he might become them. See, this is what God does. God looks at our life, and He knows why He created us. And He says to us, this is who you are. This is not who you are. This is who you are. You are a new creation. Hallelujah. Old things have passed away. The things that came through your family line. Everyone else used to have mental problems, but that person is dead. There is a new creation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone had diabetes in your family, but thank God there's a new creation. And God has given us a covenant. You know, one of the steps of the covenant was you you stood back to back with each other. You walked around. and I'm sure Pastor John has probably shared this. You walked around through some animals and then you pointed to the dead animals and you say, may this happen to me if I ever break the covenant. You know what it meant? It meant if you break the covenant, you don't deserve to exist anymore. And you know what God has done? He has given us a covenant. Hallelujah. And if he breaks it, you know what he's implying? I don't deserve to exist. So you know what I know? He can't break it. Now, he may have trouble getting me to believe it sometimes. And I may be surrounded by a lot of other people that don't believe it sometimes. But one thing I do know, he can never break it. So if he can have me be a valiant man a warrior man, a fighting man, then my steps can be ordered by him. Hallelujah. And those steps are going to take you places that you never imagined. Hallelujah. You know, I was so shocked, really, to be speaking in front of the leaders of Botswana. Just a few weeks earlier, they were saying to me, pack your bags, get out. (laughs) And I said, but... Haven't you seen all the things that we've done that are good? Pack your bags, sir. Gotta fight that good fight of faith. Hallelujah. And as I stood outside those doors waiting for the chance to go in and speak to them, and I walked through those doors, and I am the only white person. And I can't speak their language worth very much at all. And they've got their masters and PhDs. These are clever people. And they, you you understand, this is the best. But God was ordering my steps. Hallelujah. And I have some other steps that God wants to order. But I need to be filled with the well that he has for me. Now, recently I was reading and it says, you know, God says us, we can have what we say, but often we're saying what we have. We're realists. We just talk about what we have. We have this, we have this. No, by his stripes, I was healed. Hallelujah. Himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. He's going to be the one that opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that cannot be contained. God has a plan for your life. It's glorious. Go back to the basics. If you've left them. Go back to the basics of spending time reading that word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shut off some things that are cluttering your mind. Fill yourself. Make a choice what you fill yourself with. Praise Praise God. Speak in other tongues. You know what the Bible says? In these last days, you know what God's solution is going to be? He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And our sons and our daughters, they are going to prophesy. Hallelujah. And young men are going to see visions. And old men are going to dream dreams. God has not called us to simply settle for what we see. And then report it with our mouths. He's asking, he says, May the word be nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. He's wanting us to speak his word. Let me end with this. If you go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, remember he told Joshua, Joshua, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses? Was that enough? No. He said, Joshua, you're going to have to do something. I'm going to do all this, but I need you to do something. I need you to be strong and of good courage. I need you not to be afraid or dismayed. This is what I need from you. I'll be with you. No one will stand before you. But I need something from you because me being with you is not enough. So he says... Do not let this word depart out of your mouth. Meditate. The word meditate means to say it over and over to yourself. You know, there was a time when my father was experimenting with transcendental meditation. You know, and you know, they just mumble. Mumble nothing. Mumble nothing. Try to get your mind blank. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says mumble the word of God. Say it over and over and over, and then you'll observe to do it, and then you'll make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. It will work. Yes. But the word be strong and of good courage, both of the words have something in common. Both of them have this idea of hardening yourself. Be strong. It means to become hard. Have good courage. It means... Also, the idea of becoming hard. Does it mean other things? Yes. But I think what God is saying to me in my life, you in your life, is that in order for you to fulfill God's word in your life, you have to become hardened. You can't be softy, soft on the inside, but you can't be a quitter. And one of the things that it will do is when you meditate on God's Word, it will give you the hardness that you need. Hallelujah. God is a man of war. That's what the Bible says about him. David was a man of war, wasn't he? All these stories about warrior men. Yes, should we be loving and soft and gentle to people? Yes. But... There needs to be a hardness in our lives that says, I will not settle for anything less than what God has. I'll not settle for this marriage the way it is. I'm going to fight for it. I won't settle for this relationship with my kids. I'm going to fight for it. I won't settle with this community the way it is. I will harden myself. And I will let God's word harden me so that God's will can be accomplished. You know what the word dismayed means? It means don't break down when you don't know what to do. And he was telling Joshua, Joshua, there are going to be times when you're not going to know what to do. Just don't break down during those times. Man, I've teetered on dismayed sometimes. I've even been there sometimes, on my bed, crying. But thank God something on the inside of me said, don't be this. Be this let God harden you again hallelujah God has a plan for your life hallelujah and no one else probably can recognize it you know I know about my own life but it's unrecognizable To well you know me this man is a wonderful man can you and I tell you when I was a young person he was my hero He's such a godly man, hallelujah, hanging around my family. But if I asked him honestly when he was looking at that young, shy kid, if he saw this, I don't think you did. And I say that about you as well. There are things in you God wants to order your steps, hallelujah. God has a plan for your life. And he needs you, hallelujah. He needs you. To step out of the shadows. And even if in the past you've let your hair be shaven. Maybe tonight as you're sitting in the chair you recognize. You know what I've been bound and I've been reduced. Thank God there's forgiveness in Jesus. Thank God there are new beginnings. Hallelujah. And you can arise from the ashes that you're in. And become that man or woman of God in your generation. There's a lot of solutions in this room. Hallelujah. And they're right on the inside of you. Hallelujah. God has not left Seekonk without solutions. There are many of them right here in this room. Hallelujah. Mary, do you have a verse you want to share before I close? I did. Praise the Lord. Pastor John, I'm done, I think. Praise the Lord.
2: For those of you who've been coming Sunday, you need to know he has no idea what I've been preaching. I have not talked to him at all. Not only that, he preached part of Sunday's message that's in a different direction. I've been telling you in the book of Revelation, Jesus says the Spirit of God is saying different things to different churches. He's saying something to Faith Christian Center. I've been living through some of what he's talking about, and I have been—I have found myself waking up in the night praying in the Spirit. I found myself driving around with my grandson the other day, and next thing I know, I'm praying out loud in the Spirit, and he's looking at me. He prays in the Spirit too. It's like it's just flowing out of me. But it's the strengthening I need for some of the battles that we're going through. So you need to take heed to this message this morning. This is what God is saying to us. He wants to pour his Spirit out here and his power out here. And it's it's not going to come out of the ceiling. It's going to come out of us. Amen. We're going to do two things. First of all, in a moment, we're going to receive a love offering for Branch Ministries. Uh, But before we do, I want to give just this opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here tonight you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never received Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. And and I want to give you that opportunity now. So if that's you, if you don't know for sure, where, if you were to breathe your last breath when you go to bed tonight, where you're going to wake up tomorrow, you need to know for sure. And the Bible says in order to go to heaven, you must be born again. There's no other way. If you do not know that you're born again, I want to help you tonight by praying for you and by praying with you. But I need you to let me know by raising your hand. Again, I know almost everybody here, but I don't want to take a chance. There may be someone here tonight that you've never been never never been born again. Maybe there's somebody here tonight and you say, Well, I've been born again I'm born again, but I'm not walking with God anymore. I'm out there on my own. The Bible calls that backsliding.